0: Well, we're starting a new series this morning, so I want to start with a riddle. It's going to be an easy riddle. You're going to get this. So there are two football teams, and they're, they're, playing, uh, they're playing against each other. Yeah, you that's know, kind of an obvious start. They're playing against each other in um, the Citrus Bowl. One is uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, and the other is the Auburn Tiber- Tigers. Now, I know I picked the two teams that I knew was most represented in here. So, uh, so the jumbotron shows a perfect view from the side of uh, of a player entering, uh, the, taking the ball towards the end zone. And there's that line, you know, you can see where the end zone is. Does the ball break the plane, or first, or does the knee hit the ground first? Right. That's the scenario. You got it. So there were uh, there were thousands and thousands of Georgia fans who saw clearly that the ball broke the plane before the knee hit the ground. It was just clear, right? And there were thousands and thousands of Auburn fans who saw clearly that the knee hit the ground before the, the ball broke the plane, right? And so the riddle is, was it a bulldog or a tiger carrying the ball? Obviously, it's a bulldog, right? Okay, y'all, are y'all awake? Are you all with me? Okay, so so the way we see, this is the new series, how we see. There, There are so many things that affect the way we see. Our biases, for example, right? I mean, thousands and thousands of people clearly saw, you've had this experience, okay? And I know there's some Auburn Tigers in here. I know there's some Georgia Bulldogs in here. And you have had this experience where you have clearly seen, and the person on the couch Next to you, who is pulling for the other thing, clearly sees it the other way, right? And there's that awkward moment. I've had, I've had that moment, right, With, uh, between Duke and UNC, and we won't talk about last night's game. But... So uh, we, we, I've, I've, we've had that moment where it's clear that our bias affects the way we see, right? Experience. Sometimes your experience can affect the way you see. Maybe with a profession. So maybe you've had a bad experience with a realtor or a, a doctor, lawyer, or a pastor. And, and so you meet another one. Or maybe you've had a really good experience, right? And, uh, and the way you see that person is affected by learning what they do. I remember one time when uh, I, was, I, was sitting, uh, I, was, I was sitting with my, my grandfather, and my grandma told me that my grandpa was... A pole vaulter, and I never looked at him the same way again. Right? I mean, you think, oh, here's this guy. He's just, it, that that uh, that that's just you know, he, he's he's standing there with his martini and and uh, and 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 and, 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 uh, and his 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 belly is a bowl full of jelly, you know. And you're thinking, you know, this guy has never run in his life, and you find out he's a pole vaulter, and you're like, ah, your lens changes, right? or you you've had this experience where 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 somebody gets glasses for the first time, okay, so I had this experience yesterday. I walked in, and I saw a whole bunch of people and I could not recognize any of them and then, oh, I know all of you all right, and so you know you've had this experience where where somebody has never had glasses like there there were a couple of ladies who helped somebody uh, from the inner city here, a, a gal that that a lot of people know who had never had glasses and didn't know that she needed them. And when she got glasses, was amazed to see, you've heard this before, right? That the trees have individual leaves, right? The way we see, the lenses that we have affect how we see the world, how we see each other. Our basic set of assumptions is a quiet structure within us. Let me put it a different way. Everyone believes something. Everybody has a set of assumptions or beliefs. Now, maybe people who are living apart from God or have no uh, clear sense of faith, uh, they, uh, they don't necessarily speak in terms of faith-based reasoning. And yet they do, right? Because, because everybody is, is dealing with the same big questions of where we've come from. Why are we here? Where are we going? Right? We all have these immortal, these, these, these transcendent questions that cannot be answered in an empirical way or a measurable way. And so everyone believes something. And the question is, how are your beliefs affecting the way you see the world? and other people and what really matters and the issues of the day, the current events. You know, you've been to an eye doctor, again, you've been to an eye doctor and you've, you've seen that big scary machine that they put over you and you wonder what's gonna happen and they, you know, better, worse, better, worse, and they're in these different <laughs> lenses over it and so every week we're gonna be looking at, at a different subject, a different way that, that one of these ways that we look at these different issues and you can see in your bulletin, you can see that the whole series is, is mapped out for, the, for, the, uh, for the, the, the next couple of months. And I, I want to tell you that, that the per, part of the purpose of this is, of course, to edify believers. But in some ways, I'm going to privilege seekers for the next couple of months. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, we're going to ask questions the way the culture asks them. We're going to approach these subjects in the way that people that are living apart from faith ask them. Because honestly, I listen to your conversations and you ask these questions this way too. You and I are are affected by the the waters that we swim in, the temperature of the water that we are swimming in, the way that 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 culture frames up issues and, and the way that we Shape the way we think because of the language we use, right? And so we're going to be asking a a series of questions about things that matter most to examine how the way we see affects what we what we ultimately believe. And so today we're going to be asking, how does truth set us free? We're going to start off with this idea of truth, that it exists. Truth, a a simple way of thinking about truth is, is, is just understanding the way things really are. And so when Jesus refers to himself as the truth... You think of God who was and is and is to come. Jesus is saying that when you know me, you know the Father. When you know me, you know the way things were, the way things are, and the way things always will be. And so understanding the truth about anything is is to know the thing the way it really is. And so the question that's hanging over that really is the big framework around every week for the next eight weeks Is are you seeing things the way they really are? And how each individual issue that we look at can affect the way you see. So, again, today, how does truth set us free? How does truth set us free? From the Word of God, John chapter 8, starting with verse 31. So, Jesus said to the Jews, so he's speaking, so he's, he's in this long dialogue, okay, between, uh, with the Jews. And some of them are very important people, very powerful people, uh, leaders of, of the day and age, the culture, the, the temple culture. Some of them are convinced who Jesus is. So, this is a mixed crowd. That's important to know. So, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, and again some who who didn't believe in him he's speaking to a mixed crowd if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free they answered him we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone how is it that you say you will become free they're insulted see, he's implying that they're slaves to something. They're insulted. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Oh, yeah. I thought Georgia versus Auburn was bad. Those, those are fighting words right there. What's he implying? They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works of your father. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to him, if you, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I'm here. Let's pray together. Holy God, bless us now through your word, not only to understand it with our minds, but to believe it with our hearts that we may live it with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a number of of stories and images that hang with me. And one of them is this experiment that I I told you all about. For those of you who are here when I first came, my first year here and it, it's one of those stories that i think about again and again as i think about the way we live our lives and the way you live your lives and the way i see uh, my lifestyle and the way i view your lifestyle and and us together here and it's it and it's the image of uh, the the school children who who are given um, Toys and balls and bats and all kinds of things and they're sent out into a field to play and they hover closely to the buildings and then they build a big fence way out, way out into like 100 yards into that field. And because they built the fence, every time they experimented, this, they, they experimented with this uh, in different socioeconomic levels, different communities nationwide, every time they built a fence they actually set children free. To move farther into the field. They, they set the parameters and set limits, but they, what they actually did was, was they gave them room to thrive. And so that's, that's, where that's an image of, of where we're going, not only with this series, but particularly this morning. How does truth set us free? By giving us the limits of our design. That's how truth sets us free. Let's look at it a couple of different ways. First, truth frees us to live larger. Live larger within the limits of design. Just like you, you see that image of, of school children moving out into the, the field. To live larger within the limits of design. Yeah, I worked on that alliteration for a long time, but y'all, forget it. So, so that you thank you very much. So, so the other day, this was kind of funny. I was, I was with these Cub Scouts, and, um, and I said... Um, I pulled out a pen and I said, "Is this a good pen?" And they said, "Yeah, it's a great pen." I said, "Well, hammer this nail in with it." So I had a board and I had a nail. I said, "Go ahead." And so I got one of the kids, and they were about seven years old, and, and uh, you know, like most seven-year-olds, they kind of—they didn't know what the game was. So they started trying to hammer in the, <laughs> the nail with the pen. It was hysterical. I wish I had it on video. I could show you. And so they're trying to, and, and trying and failing. I said, "Well, is it is it a good pen?" And they looked at me kind of funny, like. Yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe it's not such a good pen. I said, well, what's a pen for? A well, pen is to write. Well, it's not It's not to hammer in a nail, right? So something is good depending on what it's for, right? It's good for something. What are you good for? What are you good for? What, what were you made for? We're in a day and age when Expressive individualism is the order of the day. We believe in our culture in general that we are our own creator, that the greatest freedom we can find is within our, this myth of personal autonomy. It's the idea that, that the greatest version of yourself will emerge when you are in charge of who you become. And so everything is on the table now. Uh, did you know there's a guy in the, in the upper Midwest who wants to, he, he, wants to, he identifies as a 40-year-old. He's 62. But he wants to be legally 40, right? Right? He wants to legally change his age to 40, even though he's in his 60s, right? He wants <clears throat> to be my age. <clears throat> yeah, see, you laughed at that. And yet your culture says this, you will be watching, and and I'm not going to name this show, but some of you I know, many of you watch this show, and somebody's going to say, live your truth, and you're going to go, yeah, that's right, live your truth. like, yeah. And you're going to forget this moment where you laughed when I said, he wants to be identified as my age, because you know I'm not 42. Live your truth. We see it all the time. There's, a, there's, there's another story in the news in the last few weeks that has been so politicized, and I've wrestled with whether or not to use it. Because it's so politicized and because you can get the wrong idea of what I mean, but it's somebody who just made up an, their own story. and you know, It's what we're doing every day. It's what people are saying to, to, to college students every day. Just you, you find your own truth. Live your own truth. As if truth were just something subjective, and if that's where freedom were found. Now, Jesus is, is dealing with people who, who are saying that they are, they are free because they belong, they have a pedigree, right? And so, because they have this, they can trace their, their uh, heritage back to Abraham, that they are free. Where do they belong, or who do they belong to? They're claiming Abraham, but what Jesus is pointing out and implying is that they're saying they belong to themselves. The way they're acting, how do you, how do you both say that you belong and, and, and that you are following in someone's footsteps who was a patriarch of the faith and yet plot to kill somebody like Jesus? How, how do both those things coexist? Because because rules without relationship brings rebellion. That's why. Rules without relationship bring rebellion. They're following the rules, but they're following them in in orienting the world around themselves. So they're claiming Abrahamic heritage. They're claiming to be descendants of Abraham. And yet Jesus is saying the point of following in a heritage, the point of having a Ten Commandments or a history of faith is not just the rules themselves, but to be able to identify and to belong to the ruler. It's to say that there's a certain design and there's certain constraints on human life That are so encouraging because they strongly imply, they remind our souls that there is a designer. When you live by design, when you live by design, you remind yourself there is a designer. And yet, they're just checking boxes. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look, your your faith has just been reduced to the minimum. To checking boxes. And so... You belong to yourselves. You don't belong to Abraham. You're ordering life around yourself, and so therefore you're not loyal to truth. You're loyal to your truth, and guess what? If you're loyal to your truth, and I've seen this, and you maybe have experienced the hardship of this, where people around you are so loyal to a person, but they're not loyal to truth, and then they'll do almost anything, anything to be loyal to that person, even to sacrifice the truth. You see how big this is. You see how big it is that that Jesus is calling them out. That that they are Jewish in name only. They are faith based in name only. They have a faith. Make no mistake. They have a faith, and their faith is in themselves. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. You know, every no, every now and then, uh, you know, you, you might ask somebody, or I might ask some, somebody, Hey, are, are you a Christian? Do you do you, do you have a, a faith? And you have faith in Christ. And someone will say this to me. They'll say, I'm trying. I'm trying. trying i did not become a Christian until I gave up trying. How about you? Have you given up trying? If you're trying, then you probably don't understand the Christian faith. Because it's by grace we're saved through faith. Oh, I, he's a good Christian. She's a good Christian. I've never met one of those, okay? I've never met a good Christian. It's an oxymoron. I've only met bad Christians. I've only met people who know that they need a Savior. They know they need a Lord. They know that they no longer belong to themselves. You see, if we have to, if we have to put a little modifier to the word Christian, then we're not understanding the word Christian. You see, this is what Jesus is saying. This is what he's saying. You're going to belong to yourself or you're going to belong to God. But you're going to belong to somebody. And second is, is the way, so, so that, that sets you free. It's actually, so when someone is living a lie and you say, live your truth, live your truth, it's like one of the late night talk show hosts said, uh, well, they're living truthiness, right? <laughs> <Sort> of, <laughs> it's kind of a mixture of falsehood and truth, right? Is that a compassionate thing to do to somebody just to say? They're living a lie, and and so you're going to be loyal to them and say, live your truth. What Jesus is doing is so loving by calling them out, by saying, look, you're going to belong to yourself. You're going to belong to God. See, that's when you begin to be set free. The second is this. Truth sets us free to serve by design. It, It sets us free to live within limits, to live more abundantly by design right? Because truth is more like gravity. We, break, we don't so much break God's laws, we do break ourselves on it, right? So we live more abundantly when we live within the constraints of design. But not only that, truth sets us free to serve by design. Because we're going to serve somebody. You're going to belong to somebody. You're going to serve somebody. Martin Luther, you know, 500 years ago pointed this out. Human beings were made to serve. And we function well when we're serving well. Let me let me illustrate this for you. We're going to serve somebody, and we we find greater freedom when we're serving. So, so we took our kids uh, many years ago to, to uh, the White House. We got a White House tour in our congressman. And we were living in another state. I won't tell you which state, but it be- begins with a T, and it's next to North Carolina. And and so we were we were with our congressman, and um, and he was new. He was newly elected, and he had the big congressional pin on his lapel. And he seemed very fixated on his pin. <laughs> he was very enamored with his pin. And he kept talking about how the pin opened doors and all this. And, he, and it was, like, it was like, the guy, like watching the guy who gets to the end zone. And even, even though he's been there before, he doesn't act like it. You know what I'm saying? You know, he gets there and he's like, yeah, baby. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's not enough to... to, to to score on the Auburn Tigers, right? I mean, you you actually you actually have to do some fancy dance, or or vice versa. Okay, equal opportunity offender this morning. So there he is. He's doing this fancy dance in the in the White House, like I've got this pin and I can get in places and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going, man, he's really he's really uh, interested in that lapel pin. And I started to think about the mindset. Here is somebody who is doing something that few people. In our nation will ever do to be a U.S. Congressman. I kind of wanted to take him by the lapels and say, hey, you're there, man. Relax. Do something with it. Besides just sort of taking a selfie, right? I mean, I kind of felt like he was going to pull out a camera and go, look, with my lapel (laughs) pin. You know, I know I'm I'm being a little obnoxious here, making fun, but you've got to understand this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Power corrupts. Why? Because when we center life on ourselves, we're serving, not ourselves. Who are we serving? Are we serving God? Are we serving humanity? No. We begin to serve evil. Evil. And so when I'm standing in the White House being given a tour by my U.S. congressman, who can't understand that he's been given the opportunity to serve his fellow man. Unlike most people ever will be able to serve and cannot get over himself. Jesus is confronting the very thing with people who have inherited, inherited the history of God's working in human life, and they cannot get over themselves enough to find freedom in serving. It's the key to any relationship. It's the key to a a, a healthy marriage. You say, well, what do you mean? I mean, because I thought men were supposed to be in charge. Well, they're supposed to be in charge of themselves. <laughs> they're supposed to be in charge of their serving their families. They're not supposed to be in charge of their family. They're supposed to be in charge of themselves. And when they're in charge of themselves, they're a leader worth following. That's what, what free, being freed to serve looks like. And this is what Jesus wants for you and for me, is to find maximum abundant life Not serving evil, but serving him. We're going to serve somebody. Our our Westminster Catechism says it. You think, sometimes I want to work like these little catechism things in there so you can see how warm they are because when they're just cold on a page, right? But see, you're going to serve somebody. So what is your chief end? That's, That's the first question of the Westminster Catechism. What is your chief end? Your chief end is to glorify God. And to enjoy him forever. See, in serving, we can find our deepest, greatest joy, our greatest abundance. When we understand that we're designed to serve somebody. And we're going to serve somebody. And finally this. Truth frees us to obey by design. Now, this doesn't sound very good. Because this is like, like the, the Puritan H.L. Mecklen. He said... Um, he said um, uh, that Puritans had this haunting fear that someone somewhere might be having fun, right? Okay. Ken Davis, he puts it this way. It's exactly the same way. He says, you know, some people have this view of God that you know, they look down, they see somebody having a good time, and God says... Oh, right? I mean that's that's how that's how people sometimes view this issue of obedience, except if you're made to obey, if you're designed to obey, right? Otherwise you're like you could be like you could spend your life like that pen trying to nail in a, a nail, hammer in a nail. In, in other words, let me put it this way. You've heard that life is lived forwards and understood backwards. Well, obedience is lived forwards and loved backwards. Obedience is lived forwards and loved backwards. In other words, when you apply what truth is presenting to you, right, when you obey God, Even and especially, it's like getting up early in the morning and going for a workout. It's like, I don't want to do this. And you do it anyway. And then later on, you're like, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I didn't listen to that other voice, right? Obeying God is live forwards and love backwards. Sometimes we don't even understand it. You think of what what happened in Rwanda between the Tutsis and the Hutus many years ago. The, The genocide where the Hutus rose up and, and the Tutsis were sort of the elite tribe and, and they slaughtered them. What's going on in Rwanda today? Would you go to Rwanda today? Absolutely you would. Do you know why? Because forgiveness has swept the countryside, not retaliation like in the Middle East. And we've seen it perpetually, perpetually, again and again, generation after generation, hit and hit, eye for an eye. And here, Rwanda has embraced this strange principle of obeying God by saying, forgive one another. What a weird thing to do. It's lived forwards and loved backwards. The country is being transformed by forgiveness. So isn't it true that your greatest regret is when you took matters into your own hands and said, I'm going to live my truth. Isn't it true? That your, your greatest regret comes from being your own, belonging to yourself, serving you, obeying your own little voice disconnected from God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you lived full of grace and truth how amazing it is that you lived a life worth following and that we see it we can see it up close and personal in our own lives and so God I pray that over the course of these weeks as we consider what it means to follow you that you would bring us a stronger sense of a vision for your life that you lived when you walked in our midst that we would see ourselves the way you see us, that we would see one another the way you see us, that we would see the world and, and our responsibilities and our relationships, our jobs, our roles, that we would see all of that with an increasing clarity, that we would live full of grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.